Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Adrian Bow podcast featuring Troy Malcolm. AB, we had so much feedback last week from the episode when we interviewed one of our really successful uh, Queensland agents, Craig Lee. And, and this episode, I guess, is one that's closer to home to us and with a team member that's been with us for over 14 years. Uh, I classify this person as a good friend of mine. I know that you've worked together with him for a long period of time. It's none other than Mr. Michael Tringali, the mayor, the king the uh, man that we call Mr. Haberfield is on the podcast. MT, mate, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, For those that don't know you, very hard that not many people wouldn't know you on this podcast, but for those that don't know you, can you give a 30-second snapshot of uh, who you are, what you do, and why you've been so successful in the short 14 years that you've been with McGrath and previous to that? Wow, what an intro, Troy. Uh, absolutely. I'm floored with an intro like that. So, <laughs> pleasure to be here with you and AB. Um, uh, mate, uh, look, just been working at Haberfield for around 20 years. Um, as you're sort of saying there, that we just, we're really entrenched in the marketplace. Been with McGrath for 14. Initially came across to McGrath because I'd sold my office. And when I sold my office, I actually used to copy the McGrath ads. Right. So we actually started rebranding our franchise ads to look like McGrath ads and cause a lot of drama. But, you know, when you see the preeminent leaders in the industry, a business that's led by people with passion and people who brought excitement into it and innovative techniques, and we've continued to do that for 14 years, there's nowhere else I could be, nowhere else I could go. Yeah, that's interesting, Mike, because you're certainly not the first one either on this podcast or have joined our brand that have... Uh, sold their business because in this current landscape, which is a changing landscape in our industry, unless you've got massive scale, profitability is a challenge, Um, whereby with EBUs, what we call, you know, a lead agent in yourself and an associate and a CSM, uh, they're quite profitable assuming there's efficiencies um, because a lot of the expense is just some marketing, maybe one fixed labour cost and and, and your car. Um, So we've seen agents you know, go from owning an office, which sometimes can be about status and not service, and then go to a service-based model in an EBU and have profitability uh, up to about 60% where their margins or EBITs owning your own business was around 12 15%. So it's pretty interesting. So I, I, I appreciate you sort of acknowledging that. Um, and to also have that 60% market share, which you do have, which I've got to say, that is very anomalous and it's, you're quite a unicorn in, in the industry to have that type of market share. Most people would revere and die for that, um, where a lot of offices with multiple agents are still in single-digit market share in precincts. So, yeah, that's something I'd love you to touch on. Well, I think it's focus, Adrian. Like you've said about the UBU, and when you restructure your business and you turn around and say, okay, we're all about service, we're all about picking up listings and making sales. That's what real estate's about. If you're in sales, you're picking up listings, you're making sales. Now, when you're running an office, it's really hard because you're also managing people, you're managing uh, properties and all the other bits and pieces. With an EDU, you're actually just managing your vendors and you're managing your buyers and you've got support around. You build your team to support you around that and as big as you want to get is as big as your team is. And you tend to build your team as you get more market share. Mm-hmm. So your focus stays really centralised and really laser-focused. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's the key difference with EDU, guys running EDUs and guys who are still running office environments. You know, it's, it's hard to actually get that because I remember when I came across um, 
Shane Smolin actually said to me, he goes, come over and meet Adrian Bowe. And Adrian Bowe was in the big office at the corner of Edgecliff there and he's sitting there and he's got this team around him and I'm saying, what's going on in there? And he's got four people around him and they've all got their little tasks and they're all doing their bits and pieces and there was no chatter, there was no noise, there was none of this sort of, um, uh, there was a hum of energy but there wasn't all of this cross-pollinisation of, of, of noise and chatter and everyone seemed to know what they were doing and Adrian's in the middle, a bit like the, uh, the conductor of the orchestra, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was just, he's got, got his headset on and he's just banging out the calls. And I think that's what people tend to forget. If you bang out the calls, you bang out the bucks. Yeah. And definitely, look, you know, yeah, I appreciate that and, and uh, yeah, I do recall that day. And, and, you know, just so everyone knows, all that is about, Michael, and the only reason that was successful and still remains to be is that it is, one, role definition. Yep. Two, everyone's staying in their lane. So, yeah. so you know, if you're the, the lead agent and the lister, then all you're focused on is listing, negotiating, keeping a deal together and vendor alignment. Sure. If you're the associate agent or the buyer's agent, then all you're doing is callbacks, buyer appointments uh, and, and buyer negotiation. You know, if you're the CSM or, or EA, then you're focused on providing the highest quality admin, marketing support and vendor relations. So that's all that's about. And there's no need to communicate too much internally apart from on email because that allows everyone to stay hyper-focused in their role. And, look, don't get us wrong, Troy and I work with a lot of our franchise partners and and many of them, in fact, all of them that we're currently working with are very successful at what they do. But most of them have got scale. Secondly, a lot of them are entrepreneurial based, but many agents we deal with, even though they may have the aspiration to be a business owner or even though those words might come out of their mouth, we know all day long their highest and best use is actually listing and selling real estate. And as we've learned with many, and you know, we could talk to them in front of them because we have and we've had them on this podcast, Richard Chaloub, John McManus, you know, a lot of people we talked to said, you know what, we tried it. Um, we were... We were distracted from our highest and best use, which was listing and selling. Our hours in the day, let's call it, let's call it 10, 12, whatever they want to commit for that day, uh, their hours were cannibalised by distractions and by HR and by front office management, by photocopies, etc. whereby that's $40 an hour stuff rather than $600 an hour stuff, which is listing and selling real estate. So it's not us just telling you. We've heard it from people that have done it, tried it, left, come back. Um, in saying that, again, some franchise partners, if not all we're dealing with, are very good at what they do. They've got scale, they've got process, they've got systems, true. Absolutely. And Michael, I would refer to you as a specialist in your market. Uh, Not only do we have the specialisation of the internal office stuff, but you found a niche. Being a resident of of Haberfield and and the surrounds of over 37 years, you've lived there, you breathe it, you live it, you love it. Um, Over the past couple of years, obviously, for those that are listening to this podcast, your area has gone through a little bit of a change as well uh, in regards to one of the infrastructure um, projects that the government has put in place, which is West Connects. Now, your specialisation not only is focused as an agent, but you're focused on the community and knowing everything that's possibly happening. And this is probably the biggest difference that I noticed with uh, an agent that's successful or an agent that is doing 60% market share. When you walk into one of Michael's opens, Adrian, or one of his auctions, every single person will know who Michael is because at some point in time, if they're searching for a property in Haberfield and its surrounds, they're going to have a question for Michael and his follow-up and his diligent processes around knowing everything that's happening in the community and becoming that hyper-local knowledge expert is second to none. I've never seen anything like it and I think, Michael, that's one of your points of difference, that you really represent the people in your community as well. I think you've got to be a community agent, right? 
So a lot of people talk about, you know, that's my BDA, or this is where I work and, you know, I'm going to go out and make that my suburb. Everyone who's become a hyper-community agent has always had that community mm-hmm. at their heart. So you are a member of the community, so people then trust you. So you become the trusted advisor for the community, not just on real estate, but on many, many levels. And let's face it, if people are buying a house that's unrenovated for two, 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 three, two, four, and then coming in and spending a million dollars on a reno, they want to get some advice around that when they're doing the renovation because sooner or later that asset becomes something that's going to be traded on and resold or provide for their, you know, their superannuation. You, I'm often in the lounge rooms around the plans before they're getting submitted to, to the council. I was out there last Saturday doing that with someone. Mm. And just giving a little bit of input. They don't want you to redesign their plan or, you know, upstage the um, the architect. But they want some idea on what do people look for when they are actually buying a home because trends do change. Yeah. Um, but look, hyper-community awareness, be out there and support your community in everything you can. So support the schools, support the people, support the projects. If there's a problem with the parking and the local shopkeepers have got an issue with it, you know, get out there and support it. They're in business too. And sometimes we tend to forget that our other business owners and, you know, people who run businesses in areas, they're looking for, for help every day. They're struggling with their businesses as much as we struggle with our business. They're looking for customers. They're looking for customer retention. We help them. Um, they help us. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a nice translation piece there, Adrian, I think. And, Michael, thank you so much for that insight because – those that are successful in business are in it for the community. They're not actually in it for the transactional or commission breath that another great friend of ours that we were just speaking to on the yeah. phone before we started recording. Tom Panos was talking about those that have commission breath, they just go and do the transaction and move on quickly. You can get a sense that Michael's a resident, he cares about the community, but he also cares about the end to end solution, I guess, businesses and also the people that have been there. And a lot of your community, te- like people that buy property from you, Michael, they stay in the area as well. When they move there, they stay there. So it's a really close knit community. And I think there's a really nice translation piece between uh, the sales side of the business and being a good person and dealing with integrity and authenticity out in the market with the community. Yeah, definitely. What I'm hearing there, Mike, is you're ingrained in the fabric of Haddonfield. Okay. Um, and you're in front of community members providing uh, trusted advisor-like recommendations with zero expectations of, of remuneration. And that's the thing that, you know, if you go in and see your accountant or you go in and see your lawyer, not every minute is billable with your accountant or with your lawyer. They can't charge you for every minute they're talking to you. And sometimes you've got to make that call to just say, listen, if I go down this path, is it the wrong path? And then if I do, can we come in and refine it and get it right? And that's pretty much what these sorts of conversations are. So when you're walking through the shopping centre, and it could be anywhere, my kids say, we're not going to the shop with you on a Sunday morning. It takes an hour to buy bread. Um, So um, the point is that as you go down through the shopping centre and people talk to you, You've, you've got, actually got to be there because if you're taken out of the community, which is you're taking listings and you're selling property, that means you're getting something from it. You're not putting something back in for it. It's not really. No, it's true. And it's very consistent, Troy, with what our founder, John McGrath, talks about, which is the high intent selling. And selling is probably not, not the best, um, um, you know, serpix to act to the end of it, but it is, it is a high intent approach, if you like. Mm. Um, and it's high intent around everything because you're totally right, uh, Michael. There's a lot of agents that need the paradigm shift because a lot of them do think, well, unless I'm actually going to clip the ticket on a commission, then why am I having the conversation? Why yeah. am I going What's to the meeting? Me? Yeah. Yeah. Why am I doing the email? Why am I, te- where it's a bit like, you know what? 
it's actually flipped that model on its head. It's 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 almost a bit like when then, you know. Yeah. It's like, well, when I've got that car, then I'm going to be happy. It's like when I uh, ride a million GCI, then I'm going to start offering good service. Well, it's not true. It's, you know what, offer good service and then you'll start earning a million GCI. and. Start having a high intent approach or this high intent selling um, and this high intent attitude, which is talk to people in your community or talk to people on your database because your database can be a form of community. Mm -hmm. A lot of people say, well, what's my core? What's my BDA? And I say to them, well, it's your database. And sometimes that can be a a bit geographically indiscriminate because if someone in your database lives in an area or owns in an area that you can comfortably service, and company we represent as a duty with a duty of care, then it's still someone that that could be a potential listing down the track. So this whole you know high intent approach without an expectation of remuneration and just making it part of your daily diet, uh, whereby you're out there every day adding value, which is a massive part of it, giving re- recommendations as a trusted advisor, um, and sometimes you know what it will be putting a deal together. Sometimes it will be getting a listing. Sometimes it will be actually closing a sale. Sometimes it will be at an auction. But it's just waking up every day saying, well, how can I add value? How can I uh, have high intent in every conversation, every email, every meeting? And then the the output will equal the input in return. I think you've got to look at it and say this. Every one of those touch points, every one of those contacts, every one of those meetings, every one of those discussions is prospecting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. And and prospecting sort of you know may may not have the best uh, you know reputation, or it might even be a bit cliche, Troy, to call it prospecting because you know if we've got this high intent approach, then really all we're doing is being ourselves when we're in the community. Well, you're building brand new. Yeah. Yeah. As you do it, you build brand new. And as you say, you've got high intent, high visibility in the community. If you're out there and you're building brand, you're building market share anyway. Mm. And, Michael, it's interesting to, to try and understand, you know, if I'm a vendor in Haverfield or any client that you're talking to, um, obviously you've been with us for 14 years. You've had the opportunity, I'm sure, like many of us, to to uh, to change, change jerseys and go other places. But there's something that keeps you in the company and there's something that when vendors ask you, you know, why should I list with you or McGrath, what, what's, what's the unique selling difference and what, what, what's that McGrath magic, if you like, that, keeps you here and that keeps your vendors attracted to you? I think something around camaraderie with other agents and people that we work with. So there is a genuineness here between agents to help each other, to cross-pollinate listings, to cross-sell, and nobody puts their hand out. Mm. So I've just sold something for John Branch and his relatives, and John said, Mike, I just want you to look after them. Mm. Right. Right. Um, so when you get this sort of cross-support where people all help each other, it's something that people don't understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really hard. The other thing is the technology. We were technology leaders 14 years ago, way beyond everybody else. Um, with what we were able to do with the minute we put somebody, we put a listing up on our database uh, or on our website, and it actually does a data match with every buyer in the entire McGrath network that's been put in by any McGrath agent and can actually put an alert in front of that buyer on a Friday afternoon to come to the open house on Saturday. Mm-hmm. It really opens up your reach. And it's just a tool that vendors, I think if you're a vendor, you want that tool. Yeah. You need that tool. It's a tool that vendors can't get anywhere else, to, to my knowledge. That is true. Um, you know, and, and you know, we, we're never people to uh, 
to bag our competitors, but we do know that some of the larger uh, networks have competing offices, competing ownership, competing databases, competing websites. Yeah. We have none of the above. Uh, we have, you know, a, a, a unique and and mutual database. We have a unique and mutual and across the board website and magazine. Um, and and obviously everyone works really close together on that. So it, it is quite a unique selling point. And obviously it has retained you, Michael, because you think that it's valuable. And it's obviously attracted clients and buyers and customers and vendors uh, because of that uh, feature. And there's many others. And, and other agents as well. Yeah. Right? So you, you just mentioned collaboration between the high performers of this business and there's a certain level of what I would say a paid forward approach Michael and you're always been a big advocate of training and mentoring not only people within the business but people within your team and then just being the the, the voice if we need uh, to have a quick conversation with someone to get them back on track um, that's unique to this business and I know Adrian we talk about it a lot and we have started to, to really show that in the market but Michael you, some of the best lessons and learnings that you've had over your past 14 years with McGrath and some of those performers they've become friends of yours and I know that right now uh, one of your key legacies that that you want to deal with is um, and leave with this business is um, having that mentor kind of relationship with people coming through. Why is that so important to make sure the next wave of talent, they know the McGraw way that you were caught up with? I think it's important because there's so many things done wrong in the industry. There's so many things that people take for granted. A lot of people think they're given a business card, a mobile phone, and you know, off they go and they start writing up deals and selling property and they forget that it's about the vendor or it's about the buyer. The whole transaction comes across that way. And I think that the professionalism that we've seen in McGrath, um, it was head and shoulders above the industry. It led the industry 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Uh, it has continued to lead the industry, but also when times get tough, we see a lot of people taking shortcuts, a lot of people cutting, cutting corners and other bits and pieces. And it's all about, as you're saying, commission breadth and other bits and pieces. So I think that, if people want to come into real estate, I'd love to see people make it a profession, mm. not just a trade, not just a way of selling or saying, I saw real estate, but to say, I'm a real estate agent. And real estate agents add value. They change lives for buyers and sellers. And I think that we need to have people understanding that you are coming in here, yes, you're the trusted advisor, but you are in charge of the families, probably their most expensive asset. You're in charge of what their life will look like in 12 months' time. Mm. And I think people underestimate your importance. And I don't want to see people coming into the industry and not take that on as a serious obligation, because it is, mm. um, and, and treat it with the same respect that your accountant or your lawyer, um, and I won't say doctor, but you know, you've got to treat it with exactly the same respect that those professions do with their clients. And so far, I don't think everybody in the industry does. I don't want to highlight anyone because everyone's different. They're all individuals. Mm -hmm. But I think that's been our mandate from day one. I think it's been John's ideology from day one. And I think the people who've been successful within the company and within the industry, even people who aren't with us, have followed that sort of rule. Mm. It's definitely the way we're starting to see the industry headed, certainly in our business, Troy, where I look at my immediate EBU and there is a whole new wave of, young talent entering yeah. into the industry. 
you look at uh, my both associates, both with you know tertiary qualifications, both with university degrees, one in land economics and one in psychology, which is terribly handy as well when you're talking <laughs> when you're dealing with with, with, <laughs> with the public. Um, so you know, and we're starting to see a lot of that, Troy, with you know a lot of the uh, McGraw way and fast track, which which you beautifully handle, which is an initiation process or, or an introduction to our brand, if you like, and a lot of the new talent have either got tertiary qualifications or they've actually chosen real estate proactively, not just fallen into it where, you know, Michael and I were old enough to, to realise that, we, we, you know, sometimes we just sort of fell into it. It wasn't it wasn't necessarily something that, that, you, that you chose to do. But I think now people see it as a very professional industry, yep. something that's got a lot of regulation around, which is a good thing, a lot of compliance around, which is even better. Um, and also the remuneration levels and the potential income. I mean, it's really, uh, you know, the, the, it's, it's something to be revered, especially when you look at the more traditional uh, um, sort of careers that maybe Mike and I and your parents, Troy, could have uh, advocated us to head towards, which was medicine, law, and mm. accountancy. Um, you know, and and now you see real estate as as sort of entering into that sphere, and it's certainly something that that we're noticing, and we're identifying some some young talent in those areas. Yeah, and and I guess a question for both of you, but uh, Mike, I'll start with you. Like. The traits of the most successful people, that's one thing that comes up a lot for anyone listening to this podcast that wants to really understand what makes people successful. Uh, we've spoken about high-intense selling or being just a good person and active in the community, making sure that you're doing everything right and seen as a long-term industry, not just a short-term job. Um, and then obviously being localised and knowing everything that's happening makes a big difference. What are some of the other traits that you notice the most successful are doing out there right now? The key thing is discipline. Yeah. It's just like I sort of look back and say when I first started, what was it that got me motivated and moving hard? And it was discipline. I'd stay back every night. I'd actually do the extra bits of phone calls. I'd go out of my way to do the extra reports and bits and pieces. So I think the discipline and not being afraid of hearing the word no. Yeah. There's a lot of people that sort of think, well, I've made 50 calls. I've gotten 50 rejections. I don't want to make any more calls. This is all too hard. Hang on, you, you're 50 calls away from getting a yes now, right? You're 50 calls closer to getting that yes. Mm-hmm. So I think the people who absolutely come back and they practice, they've got very, very good dialogues, they do role plays in the office. Mm-hmm. Which we haven't seen that as strong as it used to be 10 years ago because a lot of people have gone electronic and digital. So a lot of people have sort of done their, uh, their communication by email on that and they have possibly lost that sharpness. I think the agents that are still real come across empathetic, do their role plays, have actually understand good understandings about their marketplace, and have got dedication and discipline. I think they're the key, the key things you do. Mm. Yeah, I'd have to agree, Troy, because um, when you look at what Michael's just said, uh, discipline and rejection, they're, they're actually not mutually exclusive. They're very, very closely related, yeah. um, and one feeds the other. Um, the, the, the third one that I'd add to that is, is process-driven. Um, yep, yep. Most, if not all, uh, highly successful agents and, and uh, uh, have, have process and therefore are able to scale because, you know, it, it's... It's very easy, or it's easier, I should say, to do you know fifteen to twenty transactions a year. But when you start talking about sixty, seventy, eighty, or more, or even you know forty, like Michael's doing in a, in a much higher 
uh, average sale price two and a half million, um, th- there is process because if you have to reinvent the wheel every time you list and sell a property, it, the the process is going to be very cumbersome and very and very uncomfortable. Mm. Um, you know what what I've always prided myself on and, and teaching other agents is you know what every time you list or sell or withdraw or pass in or or, or before an auction whatever it might be, there's one to twenty five things that you got to stick to. Um, it's like a pilot, you know, the minute he or she steps into that cockpit, whether they've been flying for five months or 50 years, there's a checklist. And guess what? As Michael said, we're handling the most expensive asset. For them, they're handling people's lives. There's not one day or one moment where they don't draw on that checklist, you know. Yeah. So achieving scale is critical, but also it's to ensure that, sure, volume's great, achieving volumes are always good, but, you know, with volume can be can create leakage in your business, okay? With volume can create burnout in your business and with volume can also create a customer service experience which goes sometimes from a 10 out of 10 to a 6 out of 10 because we're doing so many things. So when I say successful agents who have scaled appropriately, it's the ones that have achieved scale with no leakage, no burnout and still a 10 out of 10 customer service experience. So I would rather do six or seven or eight less sales a year and make sure that all those things are intact because that's the way you're going to create a sustainable and impervious business structure for the long term. Yeah. And I think the final one that I notice uh, traits of both of you is the hunger, right? It's not just I'm in it for a year and I'm out. I'm actually here for uh, 14 years and 26 years respectfully uh, going out and doing the business and making sure that the customer always comes first, buyer, seller. So anyone listening to this podcast, if you're out there and just focused on doing volume business and you've got leakage or you're not treating with the customer's best interests, in the first time and every time you deal with them, you may be missing opportunities for future and referral business. As we mentioned, Michael's got over uh, 60% market share in his current market uh, and he has had that for a sustained period of time at a high price selling point. The traits of the most successful you listen to on this podcast, they are all similar but all very different. Uh, You can always see the ones that really are uh, pushing the boundaries and have got scale and longevity in this business do things right every step of the way. We say, Adrian, stacking the cool. Mm-hmm. It's not one thing they're doing right that's making them a huge success. It's a thousand things done every time, every process that makes them a success. Um, Michael Tringali, thank you so much for spending a little bit of time uh, and coming onto the podcast. We've been going for close to half an hour, Adrian. I don't know about you, but I could re-listen to this one a couple of times because we spoke about a lot of parts, being part of the community, mentoring agents coming through the ranks, being part of an efficient team and sharing knowledge across the McGrath group and really what makes Michael tick. And I think that's the difference between any successful agent. Uh, They get up every day and they think, how am I going to do my business better than the previous day? Absolutely. Uh, It's been great, Michael. We really appreciate you having us. I really appreciate you having me here. And just one last tip I can give everyone who's out there and wants to climb that next level, never put yourself for your customer. Yeah. Your customer first. Absolutely. I think that's a really good summary for the whole theme of this uh, podcast. Yeah. Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Remember to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. This will be coming out this week, obviously. And then next week, we're going to be back at it again, interviewing another star performer for the McGrath Group. Adrian, I know that people have been sending in messages, sending requests of who they want to see us interview. Uh, Michael Tringali was one of those people. Obviously, he was on our wish list uh, very much so uh, from day one. But thank you. Keep sending those requests through because we're going to continue to get around and 
talk to the, some of those people in McGrath uh, and obviously of having success in the different communities across those eastern states for us. But please, jump onto iTunes, rate us five stars. Can't wait to see you all next week, same time on the podcast. Thanks, too.